may have lost my voice in that singing. <laughs> oh, me. I am blessed. My soul is overflowing right now. I absolutely love that song. <laughs> and uh, I listen to it often during the week, especially when uh, I need a word of encouragement. <laughs> Just to remind myself of just how awesome uh, my Lord Jesus is. And that song exalts him and that song encourages me and, and encourages us. And especially those, those, just those three statements there where it says his name is power and his name is healing and his name is life. And the other day I got to thinking about that last statement. His name is life. And I asked the question, what does that mean? And of course, first and foremost, what it means is that for everyone, everyone who by grace and through faith have <coughs> received the Lord Jesus Christ into their life, uh, receiving him as their personal Lord and Savior, then First and foremost, there is a gift that is given and it is, a, it is the gift of a glorified, a glory-filled eternal life. I know my eternal destiny. It's not in my hands. It's in the hands of Jesus because Jesus promised a glory-filled eternal life when we receive him as our personal Lord and Savior. But it means even more than that. That's first and foremost, obviously, but the thought occurred to me, it's not only a glory-filled eternal life that I have, but a grace-filled earthly life that I continue to live here on this earth. In other words, because of this incredible personal relationship I have, he's my Lord, he's my savior, he's my master, He's my king. His desire is to lavish his grace on every facet of my life. And that's not just true of me. That's true of all who have received him as their personal Lord and Savior. So when we sing that song, his name is power and his name is healing. His name is life. We're talking about a, a glory-filled eternal life and a grace-filled earthly life. But as awesome as that is, and knowing that this grace-filled earthly life is available to every follower of Christ. There's not a facet, you know, there's not a place, there's not a situation, there's not a circumstance, there's not a valley, there's not a mountain, there's nothing you face or I face that, God, that God's grace, his all-sufficient is not available for us, but that doesn't mean it's automatic. Let me explain. As a pastor for 41 years, I have spent... Uh, obviously a lot of time, hours upon hours of, of counseling, uh, trying to be used of the Lord to help people deal with uh, whatever situation, whatever the circumstance, whatever it is they have come to seek some guidance from. And the thought occurred to me that 
probably the, the, the one most declared fact that is given to me when I'm in counseling with them is they will look at me and say, if only I had listened. If only I had listened. And of course, you can fill in the blanks there, right? I mean, if only I had listened to my parents, if only I had listened to my, my wife or my husband, if only I had listened to my best friend. There are many ways in which that can be filled. In fact, I've had a few come back and, and later say, after I had shared with them, and say, Pastor, if only I had listened to you. Of course, what I'm sharing is the truth of the word of God. This is not of me, this is of him. What I'm gonna share is thus saith Lord, here's what, here's the Lord's will on this, here's the Lord's way about this, this is God's word on this. And a lot of times they will, they will hear it. But they don't heed it. So they come back to me later and just say, if only... I had listened. You know, when we use that phrase, if only I had listened, we're not talking about whether or not we heard someone share a word of advice or a word of instruction to us. We're not talking about, we're not saying, if only I had heard. No, no, when we say, when we say, if only I listened, we heard. The problem was we didn't heed it. We didn't follow the advice. We didn't follow the counsel. We didn't follow what we knew was God's will or God's way and God's word. <clears throat> and as a result of that, then we're coming back and we're, we're, we have this, this regret. If only I had listened. Here's how important that is. If you look with me, first of all, at Matthew chapter 7 and in verse 24, this is the Sermon on the Mount and Christ is sharing a lot of truth, of course, in this incredible uh, message that he shared. But in verse 24, he makes this statement. So just listen to it carefully. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. In other words, they hear and they heed it. They act on them. Will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So, this incredible, amazing grace of God, this grace-filled earthly life is, is available. It's not automatic. We need to hear and heed what the Lord is saying. People are speaking into our lives all the time. In fact, since the very day you drew your first breath, you didn't know what was going on, but I want to tell you something. People were speaking to your life. Your parents were speaking into your life. And as we have grown up through the years, as you've come up through the years, just day after day, people are always speaking into our life. We hear voices everywhere, but there's only one voice that should be uh, exceptionally beyond and above all others. And of course, that's the voice of the Lord. Do I have a witness on that? So this question came to my mind. What happens when we don't listen to the Lord? 
I could share truth with you about why we need to listen to the Lord, but I want to look at it from a different direction this morning. What happens when we don't listen to the Lord? We, when we hear it, but we don't heed it. We don't follow it. We don't obey it. So to be able to answer that, I want you to turn, I just want to go back to the beginning. How about Genesis, Genesis chapter two and three. And let's go back to a very familiar story, the story of Adam and Eve. And let's look at the answers to this question, what happens when we do not listen to the Lord? As you know, God, of course, created Adam. And after he created Adam, he gave him a word of counsel, a word of instruction as found for us in Genesis chapter two, verses 15 through 17. So this is where we need to start. So let's look at it. He has created Adam. And so beginning in verse 15, the scripture says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and tend it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, here it is. From any tree of the garden you may, may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then God created Eve. I'm sure that Adam passed that word of instruction from the Lord on to Eve, if not, as we know, there were times where Adam and Eve walked with the Lord God himself in the cool of the day. So very possible that the Lord himself uh, reiterated that to Eve and Adam probably on many occasions. Don't forget, don't forget, here's my word. Here's my will. Listen very carefully. Enjoy all that I have blessed you with. Just do not eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. Well, you know how the story began to unfold in chapter three. So I want to draw your attention to a, a, a succession of things that happen when we make that decision, or listen to me carefully, we start considering the thought that we may not listen to God on this or that or the other. So let's look at, first of all, one of the first things that's gonna happen is immediately there's gonna be a distraction comes into our lives. What am I talking about? Genesis chapter three and in verse one, and very first part of that verse, it says, now the serpent, talking of course about Satan, was more cunning than any animal on the field which the Lord God had made. Here's the point I want to get across to you at the very beginning. The very moment we start considering that we're not going to listen to God in this decision or in this circumstance or in this situation, Satan comes up front, front stage into our lives. We just kind of opened it up for him. Now, I don't know the background behind this conversation that Satan's going to have 
with Eve, and by the way, Adam was there, so he's listening to this whole thing, and if he had been the spiritual leader he was supposed to have been, and he had stepped in, he should have stopped this thing immediately. He didn't, so here's what began to unfold. Is it possible that they're all in the center of the Garden of Eden? I don't know if this is true, but I just can imagine it. And Adam and Eve are looking at the tree. Isn't it interesting how we're drawn to that which we're told we cannot do, right? And so I can just imagine, I don't know, but this kind of interesting that all of a sudden this conversation starts up, so just kind of thinking, is it possible Adam and Eve are sitting there and Eve and looking at this tree and looking at the fruit of it and uh, thinking, well, we have all of this, but we can't have this. And so possibly in her mind, she's starting to contemplate whether or not she is going to actually not partake of that. I don't know that, but here's what I do know, that immediately Satan shows up and he starts speaking into her life and speaking into Adam's life. And I just want you to know, we don't face Satan face to face as she did and as Adam did there in the Garden of Eden, but we face him every single day and in every decision that we have to make and we are contemplating just the possibility that I may not listen to the Lord on this one. Satan comes front stage and he begins to speak into our lives. What does he use? Well, he uses the world, right? Uses, every time you cut on the television, the world is speaking into your life. Everything you read, someone is speaking into your life. You see, every day of our lives, there are, there are ways in which Satan can be speaking to us. So he uses the world. He uses people, relationships in our lives, people that not so concerned that you are in the will of God and you're following the ways of God and you're being obedient to the word of God, but they're speaking into your life. And unfortunately, it breaks my heart to say this, a lot of these are church-going people. But you see, they're not listening really to the Lord in their life. And so they speak, hey, you know what? It's okay, you can do this. It's no big deal. Or this, this is, I've tried that, this works, you're really like this over here. And so church-going people as well as the world out there, and of course this Satan himself using what? Our old sinful nature starts speaking to us as well. And so all of a sudden the light of truth, listen to me carefully, the light of truth starts getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And so the darkness takes a stronger hold and a stronger hold. And all of a sudden, your perspective of truth is distorted. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. That's his first step. If he can distort your perspective or my perspective of truth, he's already baiting us to go against the will of God and against the word of God and not listen to God in our life. A couple of verses here just remind you of how significant this is, even in the New Testament. If you'll look with me in 2 Corinthians just for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
I want to look at verse 3, a concern that Paul had about uh, the followers of Christ that were, uh, that were in uh, Corinth. And then uh, what he says about Satan himself uh, in, uh, as well in verse 14. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul writes this. He says, I am afraid that as the serpent, Satan, deceived Eve by his trickery, your minds will be led astray from the sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Listen to this, verse 14. No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. We may say he's a fox in sheep's clothing, right? Seeking to devour. And so he begins by seeking to distract you, to begin to distort your perspective of truth. Get your ear, he wants to get into your ear. So through the world, through other people, even through our own sinful nature, he can begin to move us away from the will of God, ways of God, and the word of God in order to secondly to deceive us, distract us in order to deceive us. Back in Genesis chapter 3, and uh, let me just read verse 1 all the way through verse 4. Genesis 3, 1 through 4. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, has God really said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, so he starts off with a lie. But that's the way he works. That's why he says he's subtle, he's crafty. He says, has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Of course not. It's not what he said, just one. But the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, we're already beginning to see Eve moving away from truth. God did not say you cannot touch it. Now, can I add this? That probably was wise. You don't need to be touching that which you shouldn't be dealing with at all, right? Don't play with fire, you will get burnt, right? That's not what God said. And so we already see Satan beginning to have a subtle impact upon him. So it says in verse four, the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. Just a direct challenge to the word of God. Right there, just directly challenge the truth of what God, he was saying God's a liar. Satan was telling Eve, God's lying to you. All right. So here's what you need to know. It doesn't matter how Satan comes against us, whatever package he puts it in, how beautiful it may sound, how crafty that he is, and how, how he's able to pull us in that direction. Here's what you need to know. Ultimately, here's what he's doing. He's challenging the very truth of God that he has given to us. He wants us to question him. It's all part of the distraction. 
It's all part of the deceivement. So it says in verse five, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will become like God, knowing good and evil. Knowing good and evil. Here's what he didn't tell them. Here's what Satan didn't tell them. There will come a day that you're gonna hate the day that you gain knowledge of evil. In other words, there's gonna come a day, he didn't put it in these words, and I'm not putting it in those words, but there's gonna come a day you're gonna say, oh, if only I had listened to God. Here's what Jesus says about Satan. And it's fascinating to me, John chapter eight, verse 44, and it's fascinating to me that he, he makes this statement comparing Oh, listen to this. The spiritual leaders of Israel that are challenging him, Jesus, the son of the living God, and, and challenging him, he says this about them making reference to Satan himself. He says in verse 44, John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. There is absolutely no truth in Satan at all. Anything he tells you, if he tells you a half truth, what do you know about that? Half truth is what? A whole lie. Never forget that. A half truth is a whole lie. There is no truth in Satan at all because he, say, he goes on to say because there is no truth in him whenever he tells a lie he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and a father of lies. And then he goes on to say in John 10, 10 the thief referring to Satan comes to achieve three things. Steal, kill, and destroy. Sit. Why would you want to listen to anything he has to say, knowing that his goal in your life is to steal your joy, steal your your peace, steal away from your life, to kill and destroy. But we give it a thought. Am I gonna listen to God on this one? He takes front stage, distracts us, deceives us to lead us to that point where we disobey the Lord. Adam and Eve took it hook, sinker, and all. Took it all. What does it say in, in verse 6, Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 6, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and then it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise. Wise in what? In the knowledge of good and evil. She took some of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband. Watch this next phrase, guys, with her. He went out in another part of the garden. He was right in the middle of this whole conversation. 
not saying anything with her and he ached. That's what happens. And as we will read in just a moment or two, in their own way, they're saying, if only I had listened. If only I had listened to the Lord. I heard it. If only I had heeded it in my life. Now, consider these three things about disobedience in, in light of this story. First of all, the results. Let's look at the results here. Beginning in verse 7, it says this. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. Now they heard, listen to this, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now this is something happened often, right? They had been walking at times with the Lord in the cool of the day and it was times when, I know what it must have been like, or I think it must have been like, if, if I was Adam and Eve and I said, hey, the Lord's here, I wanna get there as quick as I can. I want to be in the presence of the one who created me and has given me this incredible life and this incredible garden that I get to live in. But here's what happened now. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What should have been a time of absolute exuberance. <laughs> the Lord is here. The Lord is here. Now they're scared to death of him. Now, notice, God did not leave or forsake them. He showed up. Right? He showed up. Right on time, the Lord shows up. God did not forsake them. So here, here's what I want you to see. Here's the result of they had broken fellowship with the Lord. God didn't break his fellowship with them. He showed up. They broke their fellowship with him. And now, find the biggest tree I can find. Because I don't feel comfortable being spiritually intimate in fellowship with my Lord. And that's exactly what happens. Exactly what happens in our heart, in our lives. And we just keep on drifting. Just keep on drifting. And so, of course, the Lord's not going to let that stand. And so it goes on to say, uh, it says, then the Lord called to the man and said, said to him, where are you? Now, don't think for one second God didn't know where Adam was or where he was. He knew exactly where they were. But you see, he was pursuing them. Even after they had sinned, even after they had been distracted, been deceived, disobeyed, followed after the instructions of Satan as he spoke lies into their life, but it's still God is pursuing them. So he's not asking for information here. <laughs> he knows. He just wants to 
encounter them. Where are you, he said. Adam responds, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? Now he knew all of this. He's trying to get Adam to deal honestly with his sin, for his disobedience. Why? Because he loves him. He loves him. The one thing we as followers of Christ can offer to the world that no other religion can offer is the love of God. That he cares about each one of us personally. Even when we're messing up, even when we're blowing it, he keeps seeking us. Praise his holy name. Can, can I give you a word of encouragement here? When it comes to your relationship with God, I want to remind you of something. If you've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that relationship is unchanging and is unchangeable. It's forever. Well, how can you say that? Because God said it. He said, I'm handling that part. I have handled that part. Through my son, I will handle it for all eternity. But every relationship expresses itself in what? Fellowship, right? Fellowship. And when the fellowship's not good, then we don't get to experience the blessings of the relationship until we get the fellowship right. So God is pursuing Adam and Eve because he wants to get the fellowship right. A grace-filled earthly life is dependent upon the status of the fellowship. And that's in our hands, not God's hands. So he's trying to draw them out. So the results, first and foremost, was broken fellowship with the Lord God that they had been enjoying for we don't know how long. I mean, I mean, a fellowship you and I have won't really experience till we're in heaven with him in it. But look also, not only at the results, but the response. <laughs> Boy, I tell you what, Adam and Eve set the pattern for us, okay? Here's the pattern. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. So God asked, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree from which I command you not to eat? So the man said, Adam responded, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I, it's not my fault, Eve started this whole thing. And by the way, since she's the one you gave me, Lord, truth of the matter is, it's your fault. That's what he's saying. <laughs> God, it's all your fault. I was doing pretty good with all the animals. And then you brought this woman into my life. Now, he didn't complain about that before the fall, <laughs> right? 
Now, he's excusing himself. He's trying to blame somebody else. How many times? I mean, this everywhere, 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 around, everywhere around the world, it's always somebody else's fault, and we got to make up for it, right? Well, Eve didn't do much different. Scripture says, verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's not my fault. I didn't know he was lying to me. This is how we respond to things. God does not accept our excuses. Even if you say, well, I, I didn't know what the will of God was. Well, why didn't you find out? Listen, God does not play hide and seek with his will. He doesn't. He speaks through the scripture. He speaks to us through his spirit. And he speaks to us through his saints, other believers. We're saints in Christ. That's our position. Our practice doesn't always obviously, you know, harmonize with that. But God speaks to us. We can know his will, we can know his ways, and we can know his word. So just to say, well, I, I just didn't know what God's will was on it. Truth of the matter is, as a follower of Christ with the Holy Spirit of God in you, if you ask, you'll know. If you want to know, you'll know. So we have this incredible results of disobedience and that is we have broken fellowship with the Lord. We have the response. We try to excuse ourselves. We try to rationalize ourselves. But, but I want you to look at the repercussions of disobedience. I'll skip over what he said to Satan, what God said to Satan. But listen to what he said to, to Eve and then to Adam. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you shall deliver children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor, you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, yet you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, in, and for you are dust, and to dust you will return. It didn't stop there. Verse 23 and 24, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden to eat, out of the garden of Eden, to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim, thus an angel of the Lord, and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Pretty strong. 
consequences there. Here's what I want you to see. It didn't just affect Adam and Eve, did it? No. It's affecting you right now. It's affecting me right now. Their disobedience, wow, has affected every man and woman since that day and will continue. Our sin may not have that range of impact, but we don't live in a bubble. My sin is going to affect somebody else. It'll affect my wife, Kathy. It'll affect my children. It will affect my grandchildren. As a pastor, it affects you. Yeah. So you see the the consequences are just not for you. But everybody that's in your sphere of influence can be greatly impacted by your own disobedience. Now, I don't want to end on a note like that. So let me give you one other passage. <laughs> Turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 5. Verses one through seven. Love this story. Beginning in verse one. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Now, this is before he began to call, or really it's going to be the beginning of his calling men to be disciples of his. But listen to what happened. So it says, verse 3, and he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Y'all know him as Peter. Later on becomes the apostle Peter. But right now is Simon, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little distance from the land and he sat down and continued teaching the crowds from the boat. Now, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon responded and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. Now, before I read the next statement, what is implied in those words are this. Uh, this is our profession. We are professional fishermen. This is our livelihood. We know all about where to catch fish, when you can catch fish, and when you can't catch fish. Right now, we can't catch fish. We've been fishing all night. Moon's not right or something, right? But he's kind of implying, we'll stick to fishing, you stick to preaching. But 
Here's the key. It says, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. He heard and he heeded. And boy, was he glad that he did, <laughs> right? He is so glad that he, did, he didn't have to come back and say, oh, if only I had listened to him. No, no, no. It said, he did it. It says, and when they had done this, they caught a great quantity of fish and their nets began to tear so that they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats to the point where they were sinking. That's no fishing story. This is true. What am I trying to draw your attention to? Simon was not the only one blessed, was he? Simon was instructed to throw his nets out. He did. He listened to the Lord. He heard, he heeded, he listened. Not only was he blessed, but everybody around him was blessed. All the boats were filled to the point where they were about to sink. Why? Because Peter obeyed what the Lord had told him to do. So, as parents, as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ, grandparents, whichever term you want to use, when we obey, when we listen, not only are we blessed by the grace of God, but those around us are blessed as well. Blessed as well. So here's what I want us to do as we close. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes in the spirit of prayer. Sarah Lynn's gonna come up and just play for us so we can just think and seek. Just looking at our lives. Our lives. Is there anything in your life right now dealing with anything that the bottom line you would have to say, if only I had listened. 